The Youthscape Podcast. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Youthscape Podcast. And my name is Rachel Gardner. I'm Martin Saunders. And I'm going to ask Martin a question to start off with. Martin, yeah. how rebellious are you? Do you oh, see yourself as rebellious? That's a good question. Do you know, in, if, you, if you ask my wife that question, she would say, not very. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm not like a great rules person, but I'm also not a massive risk taker either. Are you quite like cautious? My, Is that why bit. you don't take risk? Yeah. yeah, so I'm not I'm not a massive rebel. Mm. Aspirationally, I'd like to think I was. But in honesty, not really. But do you ever have like rebellious fantasies? Like, I'd like to go and do that and that'd be my rebellion. Do you ever like think, oh yeah, I want to go and take that down, smash that up, mm. chuck that out? Not, not really. No. No, I'm okay. quite boring. <laughs> No, I don't. I don't ever really sort of sit there thinking about like smashing stuff up. No, that's do probably, you? Well, no, I don't think about smashing physical things up. But I think the older I get, the more rebellious I'd like to be. I feel that ah. I kind of give off these vibes that maybe I am. And anyone that actually knows me knows you I play do. It very safe. I you do. You safe. do give off those I'm quite vibes. Quite risk averse. It's the colourful clothes. It's the colourful clothes. It masks a multitude of boringness. But it's that kind <laughs> of like. I'd like, I'd like to though. I think one of the yeah. things that really appeals to me about growing old in a particular ministry is thinking, I know that this shift in my own life from age 20 to 40, how much mm. more confident I am now. Like, so 40 to 80, well, like, are we going to be rebellious 80-year-old youth workers? Mm. Well, one of the benefits of youth workers staying in, in their calling for a lifetime, yeah. I mean, there's a bit more courage, you know, in our hearts. Yeah. Or will we just, as we get older, become less and less rebellious, <laughs> more and more boring? Oh, I hope not. No, I, I think, rebuke that in Jesus' name. I think, I think there's different ways of being mm. rebellious. So I don't like to... Um, uh, I, I don't personally like breaking rules mm. and things. Like, I don't like upsetting social norms and things like that. Mm. But I do quite like to be intellectually rebellious. So I don't like to just go with the... Oh, like, okay, try not okay. to just go, like, go with the flow. Yeah. That was a bit pretentious, wasn't it? Intellectually rebellious. Uh, but uh, but you know so so there was for instance in the you know end of uh, last year as we had the election campaigns it felt like it, you either had to get polarized into yeah. one way of thinking or another and if you had any sort of like different thoughts to that either you know I'm really supportive of this uh, mm. narrative or that narrative that 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 felt quite rebellious mm. even like having a sort of sort of what I would have t- called a sane middle middle way would have mm. seen, been seen as rebellious so. Um, so I think there are there are ways in which I would want to rebel, and actually we as Youthscape like we're all about innovation, and so there's, there's, yeah. there's ways in which that we want to take the good good yes, kinds of risks yes. and and be rebellious in good kind of ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm like all right, I don't want to paint this as completely boring. I think you're right. I think probably in today's sort of climate of mm. polarization and very sort of the new totalitarianism I want to try again with that totalitarianism yeah that one I think you're right actually the rebellious path is saying no I'm not going to just operate within a certain sphere of this I'm not just going to find the tribe Mm. that totally agrees with me I'm going to I'm going to dare to not be undecided but see that there's strength in both sides I'm yeah. not going to say actually the way you can understand who I am and that I'm safe yeah. is that I'm fully signed up to this I mean there are some things that I hold absolutely dear some convictions that I will mm. be unshaken over but there's a lot of the sort of 
at the moment, the bits that are quite culturally sensitive, I think a rebellious path of peace is that you say, let's hold it all together in tension somehow. Oh, the rebellious path of peace. The rebellious path of that peace. That feels like the name of a, of a book. Mm. Isn't it? Not one that you've written, but, uh, but it's, a it's, book that you'd quote. But it sounds like one of those books that we always moan about. Like, it's a really good idea, but by chapter uh, two, it's yeah. like yeah, the idea's gone. Yeah. Like you've, How many more pods of peace can you walk? The rebellious path of peace. So you've walked to Tesco's and back and you've been rebellious. Like, what, what, else? Yeah, what else? I think you should call Shane Claiborne and say, I've got a great book title for you. Isn't that amazing? The rebellious path of peace. Path so I shouldn't do this. I haven't got official... Uh, permission. Uh, permission from? Oh, look, you're Amy. breaking a rule. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna rebel right now. Oh, what, what, what are you gonna do? Against Amy, <gasps> who has the power to edit this out. She so has it's not, power. it's not a true rebellion. It's not a true rebellion. But it's interesting, just as we talk about this, that um, we're not, at a, we're not at the point now where we're gonna like announce a theme uh, uh, for the National Youth <laughs> Ministry Weekend in uh, November. But rebellion. But let me tell you that the, the theme is all around this stuff. What? So, I, didn't, so, I did not know that. Yeah, so a big part of uh, the 2020 National tell me, no, Youth listening. Ministry Weekend, just for you, just is we're going to um, look at where we've got quite entrenched views and we've, we're sort of bringing our preconceptions Ooh. to things about all sorts of stuff like Ooh. theology and uh, practice, mm. how we do things, what church looks like, who young people are, what they can do, all that stuff. Um, we're going to try and essentially make an agreement on Friday night that in a safe space, we're going to actually press pause on mm. all that stuff I'm and really mm. listen to each mm. other. And so we're going to get some different voices mm. in. We're going to get some very safe voices in that everybody probably is very comfortable with. Mm-hmm. We're going to get some voices you haven't heard before. And we're going to encourage everybody, us included as organisers, uh, to listen to different voices and just uh, ask God again to speak mm. to us afresh through his people and the, the breadth and the richness of his mm. church, uh, which was kind of where Linda, if you were there yes. this year, on oh, Sunday was kind of going at this year's National Youth Ministry Weekend. So, um, so we are, yeah, we're going to take some risks actually. Yes. And we are going to encourage uh, everyone to kind of enter into that for just three days. And then on mm. Sunday, you can put all your preconceptions back together and you can, you can decide if you want to take all that stuff yes. away with you again. Yes. And that's fine um, because we're not asking you to change your mind. No. We're just saying, let's open ourselves up a little bit to what God might and be And we saying. will be doing that as well because we yeah. as Youthscape, when we... We're a bunch of people that are working this stuff out too. I mean, yeah. any organisation is not the building. It is the bunch of people yeah. who, are, who are working through. There's lots of things that we as, organization, as an organisation are working through. And I guess, I suppose, this is where we don't want to be simplistic about the gospel in the face of complex discussions in culture. But we also don't want to lose the simplicity. So the most rebellious I can be is utterly obedient and surrendered to Christ. And I think I'm not interested in any rebellion that doesn't have that mm. as the goal. And I think if we can hold on to that, I think as a church moving forward, we can say as a youth ministry organisation, mm. there might be some particular topics that we, di- we agree to disagree on. Mm. And we can do that really well because actually the thing that we're never going to let go of is the centrality of Christ in all yeah. of this. And as, yeah. long as, as long as we're all together holding on to him, actually I think... The great we can we can act them with restraint towards each other. I mean, the number of times that Christians just go at and go for mm, each mm. other breaks my heart. Mm. We can have restraint, we can have compassion, and we can have wisdom. And I think I'm excited. Is that enough to get me a main stage preach? Like, if I just like what, showcase? Again? But no, I'm joking. I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. 
I'm joking about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Chris, I Christian faith it. in itself in 2020 is an act of rebellion, isn't it? So you started by saying, are you rebellious? Yeah, I wanted a naughty and, poo story. And I, I don't really want to like go and, I don't know, break anything. No. Particularly, I don't fancy. I don't want to like go into Poundland and say you're you're sucking our blood. <laughs> you just you know you personally, <laughs> you're, Brenda. Capitalism is evil. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I probably wouldn't do that, but but let's not laugh at those who do because and let's not laugh at those who do. do. That's important. <coughs> yeah. uh, but uh, but but Christian faith in 2020 yeah. is an act of rebellion, and we're inviting young people into an act of rebellion and yes. actually you know when you frame the gospel like that to, yes. to young people it really is quite it's exciting different. It's different. and it's very real that is it we're not we're not making it up that really is what it is mm. so uh so that's a great way into talking about today's guest oh is it well done why is I that i see what you did there why is that and, Martin? Uh, this year at the national youth ministry weekend uh we had last year last year at the National Youth <laughs> Ministry Weekend, we had a, a fabulous uh, Saturday night session, mm-hmm. and we had two speakers. Don't worry about the first one. One of them. No, 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 don't have the second one. No, I was second one. Sorry. Don't worry about the second one. One of whom <laughs> was Rachel Gardner. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. <laughs> but uh, but we so so the but the other mm. the other brilliant speaker <gasps> who we had was uh, Sarah Williams. Oh, I love Sarah. And uh, Sarah would have been a new voice for lots of people. Yeah. Uh, she's at St. Bennett's College in Oxford. Uh, she's absolutely brilliant mind, historian, storyteller, uh, genius. And uh, she told some amazing stories about a little known mm. uh, figure who's kind of been airbrushed a bit from history. Mm. Um, somebody who, who, without whom the suffragette movement mm. might not have yeah. happened in the way and the time that it did. A committed uh, Christian who mm. was driven by her her passionate faith in Jesus and by her prayer life, mm-hmm. and her prayer life drove her activism uh, in the time of the Industrial Revolution and where culture had been thrown up in the air, mm. in the way that actually it has been now by the digital revolution. And so, uh, Dr. Sarah Williams just did this uh, amazing piece of storytelling uh, about Josephine Butler's life, and then brought it into the present and mm. uh, and. A lot of people were absolutely blown yeah, away, yeah. me included. You yeah. could have heard a pin drop. You could have heard a pin drop. That was, I mean, yes. and people did go. It wasn't because the room was empty. Yes, it was. Yes. It was just Packed. people. Mm. People were listening. That's fine. Um, and uh, and we now have uh, Sarah coming to do the Youthscape lecture. Yay! And there's there's some connections between mm. uh, that theme and this one. And again, it's around this idea of cultural revolution mm. uh, because we are living through another mm-hmm. massive cultural revolution the world hasn't changed this much since well probably since the um uh, invention of the printing press but certainly the world hasn't changed this much since the industrial revolution and so uh so the, the this year's youthscape and saint melitus lecture is called a theology for the rebellion look i have a flyer right there look at that and uh it's a theology for the rebellion how youth ministry can navigate unprecedented change uh and the speakers include dr sarah williams and Dr. Mark Scanlon from St. Melitus. Excellent thinkers, actually. Absolutely. And so I uh, spoke to Sarah uh, to get her to talk a little bit about who she is as well, but also to tell us what we can expect uh, on uh, Monday, the 2nd of March at St. Melitus. So here's the interview. 
my guest today on the Youthscape podcast is Sarah Williams. Uh, Sarah is a historian. She's based at St. Bennett's Hall in Oxford, and many people will have known her from uh, hearing them at the National Youth Ministry weekend uh, in November. But uh, it, whether you know her or not, uh, welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thank you. And uh, t- just tell us a little bit about uh, your um, your journey and your your background. Um, you're obviously based uh, in Oxford now, but you were um, until recently overseas, weren't you? Yeah, that's right. We were in Vancouver in, at Regent College for um, part of a little 11 years. So uh, teaching graduates from all over the world, helping them to think about theology and all of life and integrate their uh, first subjects with um, thinking about the Bible and taking seriously some of the theological ideas. Yeah. And you, you talk about your passion being uh, history and the church. So um, what, does that, what does that mean? How does that look in, uh, in your sort of uh, expertise, your, um, your field of study and your everyday life? Well, I started off as a historian working on the 19th and 20th centuries. And then when we switched to go over to Vancouver from uh, spending seven years of teaching at Oxford, I had to teach survey courses on the history of Christianity that started in 100 AD and went all the way to the present day, which is unbelievably daunting because I had no idea at all how to do that kind of broad sweep history. Mm. And for a couple of years, I had no clue what I was doing. And then I totally fell in love with it. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. The ability to tell the story of God's people through time is my absolute passion. I love it. And, and when you spoke at the National Youth Ministry Weekend in November, um, that will have been, for, for many people in our tribe, the first time um, they've come across you. Um, and you talked about, uh, very passionately, about somebody who um, maybe, I mean, I had never heard of her, hand on heart, I'd never heard of her, and maybe many other people would say that too, but was an incredibly significant figure, not just in church history, but also in sort of social reformation history, um, so do you just want to mention a little bit about her because she's a, a passion for you? Yeah, she is. I've been spending a lot of time with this woman. Her name's Josephine Butler. She was born in 1828, dies in 1906. And basically, she did for women what Wilberforce did for slaves um, in the sense that she spent much of her life campaigning for equal uh, constitutional and legal power for women under the law in Great Britain. And really, she's responsible for the sea change that happened at the end of the 19th century in terms of popular and political attitudes towards men and women. Mm. So historians look back on her and say, basically, she's the mother of modern feminism. She, she's really the backbone behind the women's movement. Um, but what's not known about her in the secular history books is this profound and deep shape face. And is that why you think she um, uh, is is slightly lost to history? Is it is it the fact that she's a woman that we, we know her much less than Wilberforce? Or is the faith aspect uncomfortable for people? I think it's the faith aspect, because when sec- second-wave feminists were writing the history of feminism in the sort of 1970s, 1980s, second-wave feminism feels really uncomfortable with Christianity, because in a sense it's defining itself over and against Christianity as a political movement. Mm. And so to look back and find the mother of their movement, this woman who's really motivated and profoundly rooted in Christian faith, is really problematic. What do you <laughs> do with that? 
And there's a, there was a real tension for second wave feminists writing about Butler. But also, interestingly, there was a real tension for Christian historians writing about Josephine Butler because she's just a tad too feminist, a little bit too much of a political agitator who was quite critical of the contemporary church in her own time period. Even she's married to a clergyman, she's a committed member of the church throughout her entire life. Nonetheless, she really challenges the kind of lukewarm, respectable Christianity of the middle class in Victorian Britain. And so um, you talked at the weekend very powerfully about how her, um, her activism was sort of embodied in uh, in her prayer, and her prayer was embodied in her activism. So she she sort of lived out her prayers, as it were, and she sounded quite remarkable. I think that's the thing that's impressed me most as I've learned about her life, is the way in which she didn't see prayer as separate from action, but she saw prayer as the most important action that the Christian is called to in life. And that actually, as we pray, we get to participate in who God is, in his imagination, his way of thinking about people, and his way of thinking about society. And so to pray for Butler was this extraordinary act of working with God to bring about change. And when she gets involved in political action, in social action, with working with women who've been on the streets as prostitutes for most of their lives, she begins to get involved with these women, the first thing that she understands as action is prayer, praying with women, praying for women, setting up networks of prayer that begin to mobilize action across society. And so that, that's what's really impressed me about her. So, you know, we have all these ideas about to change the world. And so often we think about changing the world as our effort, our action, what we do for God. Mm. And this woman really challenged my thinking and, and shifted that around to say, actually, the first action is to listen to God, listen to his heart, be in his presence, and that that's the radical and transformative action for the human person in relation to God. Wow. And, and so you're going to be delivering the, uh, the sort of main section of this year's Youthscape St. Melitus Lecture in London. Um, and so it's called A Theology for the Rebellion. Um, and it's, uh, I think the subtitle is uh, How the Church Can Respond uh, to, uh, to Massive Change, Cultural Change. Um, so can you give us a little bit of, of an insight into what you're going to be bringing on that evening, will Josephine Butler be making an appearance there again? Well, she's definitely making an appearance in my thinking because what I'm hoping to do in that lecture is really develop some of the ideas that we talked about really briefly in November at the Youthscape conference and dig into a more, a more thematic approach to say, what does prayer really do? What is prayer? What does it mean to pray? And how can prayer be a true political action? How can it be an action that is an action of resistance? How can it be, as it were, a pedagogy of resistance for the rebellion, as we framed it? And how does prayer change the way that we imagine the world? Um, and so I want to talk a bit about Butler, but also talk about some other pioneers of the faith who at really crucial changing points in cultural history, in political history, have um, really come to engage their culture in totally fresh ways because 
formed in Perth. So I'd actually also like to look in that lecture just a little bit at figures like Martin Luther King in the 20th century. Um, maybe also look back into the 16th century and the 17th century at some figures whose life of prayer, so I'm thinking here of somebody like Teresa of Avila in the 16th century, how their prayer lives result in the ability to be really creative in the way they engage their culture. I'm, I'm hooked at this point, Sarah. This is, uh, this is interesting stuff. Um, what, we sort of stand at an interesting point in, uh, in, in cultural history because we, uh, we've lived through the digital revolution. There's also a kind of a, a looming climate revolution going on as well. Um, mm-hmm. So d- does this feel like one of those, are we living through a, a really massive definitive moment in history or does, it, or does every generation experience that in some way? Yeah, I think every generation sees their own generation as challenged in a unique way. That's perhaps inevitable. But I think there are what at this present moment of time that are really distinct from what we might call the modern period. So since the 1960s, almost in every dimension of culture, political life, technology, even phenomenology, that is how we experience ourselves in the world, undergoing massive change and I think in the last sort of seven five to seven years we've been seeing some of the impacts of longer term cultural change since the 1960s beginning to hit our culture in ways that are shaking how we've been thinking for pretty much a couple maybe three generations and so I think people are looking for much more radical answers to to deeper questions, perhaps more existential questions than we've asked maybe for many generations. Um, I think people um, are asking questions about the very meaning of um, our materiality, our relationship to the planet in ways that are pretty unprecedented. Um, and digging into some of that, which I hope we can do at the lecture, just what is, what is the change that we're going through? What, what characterizes this change? And I'd like to make one I'd like to make one argument, really, about that, one sort of suggestion. I think the biggest crisis that we have today is that we've spent generations learning how to deconstruct, how to tear down and critique our culture. But we have this massive crisis of leadership because people don't know how to generate the constructive. And um, I want to look at that as a problem of the imagination that our our imaginations have been stripped of the ability to think and imagine the good. Um, and how do we change that? And how do we change that for our young people? How do we teach people how to commune with the good so that we know how to con- construct the good, to create the good, to refabricate the good in our culture? So, um, yeah, that's where I'd like to go in the Wow. I have to say, I, I'm glad I'm going. Um, I, sort of finally, um, I don't know if this is too much of a red herring, um, but um, the, um, the the publicity for the, the lecture, we've sort of lent heavily on the Extinction Rebellion climate justice uh, revolution uh, that's maybe going on at the moment. And, and somebody um, shared with me the other day that um, on the kind of uh, one of the um, big government uh, sort of uh, forums on climate justice that's sort of full of young people who are are being consulted on uh, you know 
the future of, of, of the government's climate agenda, um, pretty mm -hmm. much everybody on that group has come from a church background, but is, really? but, but, is no, but is no longer a practicing Christian. And they would articulate that, that, that the church has not found room for their concern for the environment. And so there's a theology gap that, that, that has meant that somehow they've heard that God is not interested in our planet. Um, and I wonder whether that's a really important piece of information for those of us that are looking yeah. to build bridges with the next generation. Oh, I think that's crucial. That is absolutely crucial. Somehow, we are not managing to find language currently in the church. But we so privatised Christianity into the realm of the subjective, into the realm of the individual, our own private piety in my relationship with God, that we've almost bled, bled away. We've, sort of, we've drained our language in the church from the ability to talk about the common good. Wow. And I think that that is a crisis for us. Because the younger generation, in this extraordinary way, in a way that I think is God-given, they really do care about the common good, mm. in a way that my generation didn't. And so I think our challenge in the church is to mobilize the language that is there in the Christian tradition, but has somehow got eclipsed for the best part of maybe 150 years, that we so privatized through the secularization narrative but we don't know how to imagine theologically beyond the unit of the individual. Um, and that's part of what I want to talk about. I'm excited that I want to find out more about that, Martin, because I think that'll be a good link. That certainly sounds very relevant. So um, Sarah will be at the St. Melitus uh, lecture alongside uh, Mark Scanlon from St. Melitus. Uh, and other speakers, I think, yet to be confirmed as we record. Um, but you can join us. It's free. There's a glass of wine as well. Um, be lovely to, uh, to see you there. And you can find all the details there on the Youthscape website. We'll talk about it a little bit more uh, in the rest of this podcast. But Sarah, thank you uh, for your time today and look forward to seeing you at the lecture. That was a great interview and I'm excited about Sarah speaking at this lecture. So um, as we've put on all our publicity, you don't have to reserve a place because it's free. But if you don't reserve a ticket, we cannot guarantee that you'll have a seat on the night. So make sure you get you reserve What happens if tickets. you don't have a seat? Will you have to stand outside or something? Stand outside with your complimentary glass of wine. Because you get a glass of wine. Will you free. still get, if you haven't booked a ticket? This is getting very complicated. Basically, the message from the high Ashlands is don't take the risk. Book yourself on. And it is the tribe. This is a chance for us to do some really important thinking. That's right. It's absolutely pertinent to everything that we're doing as youth workers. This so get yourself brilliant. there. So we've done this for the last... Uh, it's been the third one for the last uh, three years. Uh, it's a brilliant night. It's uh, a Youthscape and St. Melitus co-productions. We work together through the year to put this together. Uh, and they are always brilliant and it's free. Um, so if you can get yourself to London uh, on Monday the 2nd of March, 5.45 start, uh, we guarantee you not legally, but uh, in spirit, <laughs> it'll be an excellent it night. It will, absolutely. Fantastic. In fact, actually last year, I, I met a bunch of youth workers I don't really know and just said, 
we finished the lecture. Can we all go out for a burger? Because it finishes, what, 8.15, 8 o'clock? Yeah, 8.30. 8.30. So we all went out for a burger in Byron or something locally. It was really, really good. So you're in a brilliant part of London. It's really, really fun. So Just to be clear, Rachel will not buy you a burger. No. And, and I, did, I didn't know that it definitely was a bunch from the lecture. I just sort of said, have you been at the lecture? Can I sit with you? <laughs> did you actually accidentally yeah, go totally, on a date with a group of men totally, no not men there was men and women oh, workers. Okay. Mike Palin was somewhere in the vicinity so I knew I was um, in, in I love the idea ground. that you because you would do this yeah I would just found a group yeah. of, of complete strangers yeah have a burger and went for a burger what's the that can happen public I don't place want to all that. that no public place awesome right what else do we want to say to our beloved listeners about uh, life laundry and everything Life, laundry and everything. Everything, everything. Who does the laundry in your house? Oh, gosh, don't open that can of worms. I'd love to know. Right, so at the moment, we're in a house that a a couple of the bedrooms, we're very grateful that we have a bedroom for each child in our space. Um, But it means at the moment, because I've been away quite a bit and because my husband has been away quite a bit, like we've not yet, so we have actually piles of washing in places. We have become like a bit like that. And it is like friends want to come around, like wade through the washing, wade through the recycling on the floor, wade through the bins. No, it's not quite that bad. You pick up like t-shirts and think oh I could probably get away with another day well, my son is too and he drools all the time so his clothes are completely awful oh they've gone all sort of crusty yeah they have oh so it's all yeah so sorry that, that, why, why, why did we end up down that rabbit hole oh, I <laughs> you're looking very frightened well, I think you learn a lot about a person as we've just discovered when you just suddenly ask them when you ask a question about how their laundry system oh, works oh yes actually that's true mine is very ordered of course very organised I mean you've got four kids Mrs Saunders runs a pretty tight ship she's amazing uh, she's full time she, working as well. uh, she does um, she does ask does me she? to do most of the does laundry she? and there's a whole system does she of like school uniform on Friday nights yeah there's there's a white load I have to do yeah. at a certain time yeah. you wouldn't believe the precision, the precision actually it's very and if I Otherwise miss one of those smells, things it smells doesn't it and yeah. the other thing is Jason and I both operate that if the spirit leads you then do it and if he doesn't then you know there's other things obviously that are wow. great and important so like we just that's, that's what we operate I feel like <laughs> as a I mean it you you may have given over five I minutes of your you youth have... ministry day <laughs> Uh, to, to listening or, or watching uh, the Youthscape podcast. And I think that probably really paid you for a what liberated you household. Yeah. So thank you, Lord. Fantastic. One of the words. Do we want to say it anymore? Or are we done? Are we done? I think we should stop. I think we should stop. It's, it's all we over. love you, Tribe. Take care. I like you as a friend. The Youthscape podcast is always free, but if you'd like to support us, please go to patreon.com forward slash youthscape.